Mercy podcast is part of the Electronic Voice Phenomenon Strand for Liverpool Biennial 2012. It is produced by Mercy in partnership with Liverpool Biennial. For more information and to sign up for updates, visit biennial.com or mercyonline.co.uk forward slash podcasts. It's week four of Liverpool Biennial. I'm Vanessa Bartlett, bringing you Mercy's weekly foray through the biennial terrain. As ever, if you'd like to get in touch with me, and I'd love to hear from you, you can send me a tweet on at Vanessa Bartlett, that's B-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. And please do keep sending in your writing submissions on the theme of Parasite. You can find more information and the open call on mercyonline.co.uk. Parasites in today's podcast were written by Theodoros Chiotis. Last weekend, Liverpool was overrun by eerie sounds, scary screeches and robot voices. And no, it wasn't just the sound of the usual Friday night crowd prowling Matthew Street in search of a good time. Mercy held a series of gigs, talks and workshops to celebrate the culmination of their electronic voice phenomenon programme. The weekend was an audio mashup of mediated speech, electronic interference and danceable beats. In today's edition, I'm going to play you the highlights, including a set by Scanner, a rousing and hilarious piece of political performance by Hannah Silver, and the sound of a man reciting poetry while he lifts weights. I'm also going to skirt around some of the deeper questions that seem to be posed by the work, such as, does the human voice change when it's mediated by technology? And do we even really know and understand what technology actually is? listen to earlier editions of this podcast you'll be familiar with sound artist scanners terrifying sonic remixes of evp recordings that he found in an old theater in stockholm at the start of his set on saturday night the man himself invited the audience to come to their own conclusions about the believability of the spirit phenomena that he was presenting but something about hearing these sounds amplified in the cavernous black spaces of a drafty gig venue on seal street just before midnight was unavoidably eerie. As you listen to these thwarted and distressed voices, 
Does it matter if you believe in the existence of spirit phenomena? Would you hear these sounds differently if you were actively waiting for a human voice to manifest than if you were just passively listening to a load of random interference? A Latvian voice then breaks in with a statement that could be interpreted in various ways. It might mean, for instance, that the voice phenomenon research may benefit mankind even if the process is a painful one. Tu laudes zadetzina. Latvian, you are burning people. On Saturday afternoon, Joe Banks, research fellow in the Department of Computing at Goldsmiths University, gave a talk which addressed the way that expectation and illusion can influence the very substance of human perception. Starting with the famous parapsychology works by Konstantin Radive, which you just heard. He argued that repetition in particular has been used to help manifest voice phenomena throughout the history of EVP. Joe played extracts from experiments by a professor of psychology at California University called Diana Deutsch, where unexpected words and auditory phenomena emerge from repetitive sound. In this example, listeners hear words forming, and after a very extended period can even report hearing whispering in their ear. As the experiment is designed to be done using stereo speakers in a large auditorium, you're not likely to observe that phenomena via this podcast, you will be pleased to hear. If you have the same experience as me, you might hear the patterns reconfiguring to form several different words, such as glug, flag and bright. At one point I even heard the words Nick Clegg, Nick Clegg, Nick Clegg repeated over and over, which I'm sure you'll agree is a truly terrifying EVP. We are the authors of each of our own perceptions, and our senses are often complicit in forms of auditory deceit committed against us. Understanding Radive, one of the pioneers of EVP research, as an individual who exploited this illusory capacity in human perception, how might EVP continue to be an interesting vehicle for making art? On Sunday, I attended the EVP Think Tank, a day of discussions for artists whose practice uses electronics and the voice. I spoke to two artists in particular, Eric Bunger and Nathan Jones, about how they feel about the phenomenon. The two things that are like split, EVP is like a paranormal phenomenon and electronic voice phenomena just as a phenomena of electronics with the voice is uh, the suspension of disbelief and the perception as authorship once you suspend disbelief, then everything is like connected. What seems to matter in artistic practice is the phenomenon as a vehicle toward creative thinking. It's much more interesting to take the, the standpoint that you don't know. 
and you don't want to know, like you don't want to have scientific fact saying that this is not possible because it's much more fun to actually put yourself in a position where you start believing a little bit. A world where spirit voices speak to you via a transistor radio is a world where anything is possible. And that's the best kind of world in which to make art. Grooves. Adrift in a time of peace, a desire for the creation of new landscapes binds itself onto the silence of the brain. Initially inert, the host is deceived at breakneck speed. Something incredible becomes gradually more credible. Machinery is relinquished. Can this be called living? Inner geography and guesswork coincide in the impending transmogrification. Things that ought to crawl have now learned to walk. Dig that groove. In time, feedback gradually maximizes, and we are lessened. The earth is pause, ought to suffice. Today I've taken the executive decision to choose my own track to play, given that Andrew Ellis of Samistat, who normally suggests a record, seems to have gone AWOL in Latvia. But don't fear, as Ellis will be guest hosting next week's podcast with a themed mix created specially for the biennial. In a moment I'll be bringing you more sounds from the EVP weekend, plus this week's immediate suggestion by Oliver Braid. Meanwhile, here's a lovely band that I saw play at a festival in Cambridge last month. Yola Fatouche playing Celine.
When poet Stephen Fowler performed on Saturday, he seemed to be using ideas of endurance, stamina and human frailty to work at the interface between technology and the body. Armed with weights and a bench press, he used physical exercise to push his body to the limit, creating traces of strain and vulnerability in his vocals. Bearing witness to the texture and weight of such exertion, the listener became an intimate partner in his struggle as it was translated down the microphone, a meeting point between a technology and a fragile human voice. Activities, arms holding, mouthing, smokes, uncertain differences, visible leaning rock, the building of mountains. Not all of the utterances this weekend had to be technologically adapted or mediated. On Sunday, poet Nathan Walker created an intimate performance for a small group of artists, which drew attention to what the voice itself might achieve through language and intonation. Standing for the dead, the influence of force, the reason that there is more is the same soundness of the swing. What you do is you're looking to your right, and uh, you ca uh, and your your arms are raised, um, and your arms are signalling to your right as well. So both your yeah that's it. Both your arms are to your right. Um, you look to your right. James Wilkes presented a series of dialogue poems based on a book from 1664, which generated the first ever alphabet of hand gestures, reminding us that language in itself is also a kind of technology. Here's Eric Bunger again at the EVP think tank session. Language is a technology, is the first technology. And basically, clothes are technology. I mean, this is like, so, but only through that understanding can you somehow talk about what technology actually is, which is from the form of communication. If you think about the, the way Marshall McLuhan looks upon it, is that every technology contains its the next technology. Is the, so like the, like the spoken language is the womb for the text, and the text is a womb for the printing. As much as we tend to perceive a break between real life and virtual life, and between man and machine, this view of human progress positions the voice as a vessel of language and as a kind of technology in its own right. A technology that's been used to articulate personal, political and spiritual messages for centuries. Speaking of politics, Hannah Silver did a fantastically politically incisive performance on Friday evening. This piece you can hear now is a repetition of the phrase 40% of all amputees will go back into war. Before this week's podcast comes to an end, it's time to take one of our regular visits to biennial land with the wonderful Oliver Braid of the Ellie and Oliver Show. Regular listeners will know that during the biennial I'm acting as a kind of art facilitator slash carer for Oliver, but don't tell him I said that. 
and I'm taking him to various art venues where he comes up with an unplanned and immediate suggestion about alternative ways to enjoy the art. This week I took him to the City States exhibition on Copper's Hill, which is an art show where major world cities set up small exhibitions next to one another, showing the work of some of their best artists. We focused on Vilnius's exhibition, which some of you might have seen. It's an absolutely enormous, ceiling high, at least 20 meter long, inflatable black pillow. All over braids immediate suggestion. Hello, my name is Oliver Braid and I'm an artist and I live in Glasgow. And here I am with this version of my immediate suggestion. Today we are at a strange post office building on Copperas Hill and we're looking at a ginormous black pillow that has come from Villainous. I can imagine that this is probably going to be a talking point of the biennial, the big black pillow. I was speaking to a lady the other day who's one of the directors at the Royal Standard and the way that she described this exhibition was as a Eurovision song contest for the biennial. From watching a television programme called Beautiful People on BBC uh, One, what I've learnt about the Eurovision Song Contest is it's very important to have a gimmick if you want to win. Now I know that obviously we don't want to say that art's all about competition or outdoing people, but uh, I would say if Vilnius had gone for a gimmick, they've obviously gone for size, but I don't want to put such a negative spin on that. So I want to look at ways in which this particular size of an artwork can be, actually be very positive, both for us uh, in our well-being and also maybe our finances as artists. So sometimes if we're a, a, a kind of a poorer artist than someone, we have a problem with transporting works. What I think we could all look at doing is making an inflatable artwork that we can compress down and then once we get to our destination we can just open that up into a beautiful or quite an impressive shape it's probably the biggest artwork that i've seen so far uh, and, and possibly that's good for our carbon footprint now what i would say also about Vilnius is i know some girls from Vilnius. everyone that i've met is crazy beautiful really beautiful and really thin and what happens i'm not saying that those two are always connected um, but sometimes when you're stood next to a thin, beautiful person, you want to, well, I end up sucking my stomach in a little bit. Now, if you're stood next to something this big, it's quite convenient because what you could do is stand a little distance away and uh, take a profile photograph of yourself for a Facebook or something. And people that haven't seen you for a while will think that you've lost some weight or perhaps shrunk in size. But either way, I think the effect is nice. The size of this is particularly good, I think, for a cover photograph rather than a profile picture. The other thing that I think must be said for something that's so big is we can wander around it and very casually perhaps if our pants have ridden up a little bit we could just adjust those down without anyone really catching us. Or finally, and I think that this often happens at openings and if you're in a white space you can't really get away from it. But you know every town tends to have at least one person that everyone agrees on is kind of nuts and you don't want to get stuck talking to them at an opening. I say that but it could actually be me sometimes. What's very nice about having a massive obstructive object in the way is if you see this person working, walking towards you, you can slip behind the pillow quite slowly and then really pelt around the other side. 
and just pop back around there. So I would say we can use it, we can avoid people that we don't want to talk to using this big black pillow. We can learn from the people of Lithuania that we don't have to make a ginormous sculpture uh, in a solid way in order to make quite an impressive artwork. And obviously it can slim us right down in the face of other beautiful people. Um, yeah, that's my immediate suggestion. All of braids, immediate suggestion. Thanks for that, Oliver, and thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.